I greet you, dear people, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, the one who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a powerful promise. I believe that we are living in the last of the last days. And as the Bible says, these are perilous times. And Satan is working overtime to cause many good people to fall from the faith. But the church of Jesus Christ has nothing to be afraid of. Because the church of Jesus Christ will rise triumphant one day. I trust you're a part of it. The Apostle Paul encourages us to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Why is it a good fight? Because it ends in victory. That's why. How could you possibly call a fight a good one that ends in defeat? No, it's a good fight. The fight of faith is a good one. Keep fighting. It's worth it all. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to note verses 1 and 2 for a springboard to the message this morning. This morning we're looking at the subject of leisure time. The title is Leisure Time That Honors God. Now here we are at the beginning of the summer. And now that uh, Clayton and Jill's wedding is over, maybe it really feels like the beginning of the summer for some of you. (laughs) But we're at the beginning of the summer when uh, we often think about... uh, Maybe vacations, or trips, or breaks from the normal responsibilities. And so perhaps this is a good time to think about leisure time. But we'll note later that leisure time isn't only about vacation times and trips and so forth. But we'll look into that in a bit. But I would like to look here at the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. We read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you think God cares about how you spend your leisure time? And do you think that it's possible to know what God's will is in relation to your leisure time? I would say yes to both of those questions. I believe God does care about our leisure time. And I believe it is possible to know God's will for me in my use of my leisure time. But it begins by giving myself wholly to God. It begins by surrendering myself to Him. So that my relationship with God can be restored. So that my mind can be renewed. So that I can think according to how God thinks. It is then, I believe, that we can understand what God's will is for us in many details of our lives. In what we would consider big things or small things. Now, I would like for us to consider this subject this morning, perhaps from the angle of being a worshiper of God in all of life. The question could be asked, what really is worship? What is worship? 
I mean, we talk a lot about worship, at least in some ways. We use the word a lot. It's regular church lingo. But what is it anyway? See, church, I mean, sorry, worship is not merely an activity. It's not merely an event. It's not merely a a thing that we do or a place that we go. Worship is not merely the second hour in the Sunday morning service. But instead, worship, as we read here in Romans chapter 12, is a whole life response to the mercies of God. It's acknowledging Him as as Lord of our lives. That is His worthy position. And it's submitting ourselves daily in obedience to Him. It's ordering our lives in accordance to His Word. And so we could say that worship is is saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for your great love and mercy that you've poured into my life. And because of what you've done for me, I want to give you all of me. I want to give you my dreams, my goals. I want to give you my body. I want to give you what I've always thought was so important. I want to give it to you. And and I want to order my life in accordance to your will. I want to live my life in a way that brings you great joy. But see, truly worship is more than that. Worship is not merely saying that. Worship is doing that. (laughs) And so we sang a wonderful song just a few moments ago of deep commitment to God. Lord, to know your precepts, I desire. Revive me in your righteousness. Wow. Those are noble words, are they not? But simply singing that is not worship. Now, you can sing it in a worshipful kind of way. But true worship is then going home and living that out. And so here's the question that we want to flesh out this morning. And that is that based on our truly being worshipers of God in heart and in life, what are some simple, biblically practical issues to consider when choosing our leisure activities. And the goal of this message is to inspire us to make good choices through our relationship to God and a love for His Word. It's not simply because the the rules and discipline says do this and do this or don't do that and don't do that. No, it goes so much deeper than that. It's, It's flowing out of my love for God My love for His Word. His position is is so worthy as Lord of my life. I want to honor Him in all I do. Should that not be the underlying directive in all of life? And so perhaps you've heard the saying, more carrot than stick. (laughs) Well, that's, that's my goal for this message this morning. Instead of saying, don't do that and don't do that and, and young people don't go there and don't go there, Instead, I would like to present you the truth of Scripture that I believe can give us some practical direction in what we as Christians should do. Should do. And so here at the beginning of this message, I just want to challenge each one of us to open ourselves up to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a big subject, and perhaps for some it's very controversial. And yet... Well, and and also I'll say that there's no way I could ever get all your questions answered on this, (laughs) at least in one morning. And and in many mornings, I couldn't. But yet, I am convinced that God knows exactly where you are. God knows what your needs are. God knows uh, what you're struggling with. God knows what your hobbies are. God knows what, what really gets you excited. God knows what you like to do just for fun. And he's willing and ready and able to give you good, practical, I think, advice and direction in this area of your life, if you're willing. So let's be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit this morning. Now, as we get started here, we we must 
define, I guess, uh, the term leisure time. We're talking about leisure time that honors God. What are we talking about? And I mentioned a bit earlier that we're not talking about just simply those big vacations or the trips to Florida or you name it. But the definition of leisure in, in the dictionary is simply time that is free from work or responsibilities. At least that's sort of the basic one. Time that is free from work and other responsibilities. Someone has put it this way, leisure may or may not be relaxing, but it is the time we can use at our discretion outside of our regular responsibilities. And I think a key there is the time we can use at our discretion. You understand very well that in all of our lives we have responsibilities. We have things that we must do. We men go to work. Uh, you ladies have many responsibilities in the house that keep you very busy from morning to night and even in the night sometimes. And, and we have jobs. We have routines. Many of those are habitual things for us. We would not consider that leisure time. But leisure time, at least what we're talking about this morning, is time that is free from that. And so for some, they would have bits of leisure time each day. Some maybe not so much. But it is something that affects all of us and that we all have. I wonder, are we spending it to the glory of God? So leisure time opens up a world of opportunities and a world of choices. What will you choose to do with your leisure time? I guess it's important for us as Christians, little Christs, to say, well, what did Jesus do? <laughs> what did Jesus do? And as we look at the Gospels, certainly we don't have many details about how Jesus spent his leisure time, but we do have some significant ones that give us direction. It's pretty obvious that Jesus wasn't shooting the breeze. But Jesus came on a mission to do the will of his Father, and he stayed busy with it. That directed his life. That guided him. Just, let's just note a couple. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and starting at verse 29. And here we, we pick up right, right after uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. We have that story. And so obviously this meant something to Jesus. This grieved his heart. And also, just prior to that, we have the story where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. And so that's just prior to this. But Mark 6, 29, And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Speaking of John the Baptist. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. And that refers to after they had been sent out. Now, verse 31. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Young mothers, does that sound like you sometimes? <laughs> and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Notice how that Jesus' vacation was interrupted with the needs of mankind. And when he saw the needs, he gladly swerved on his little vacation and he took care of the needs. Now, I will be quick to say that as, as I have studied for this, I have been convicted many times over. <laughs> I'm preaching, first of all, to myself, but I trust that you can gain some benefit as well. But there's, there's nuggets all along the way that 
that I need deeply for myself, and this is one of them. Jesus' focus was not on himself, but it was on others, on the needs of others, and that, that really directed him in life. Let's note another, uh, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and verses 15 and 16. Here, Jesus is very busy. He's calling disciples and healing people. And verse 15, well, he, he had just healed the man with leprosy, and he said, don't tell anyone. Verse 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And so you see the first time in Mark chapter 6 that we just read a moment ago, Jesus went with his disciples. It was a time of fellowship, a way to sort of rejuvenate from the busyness and pressures and dealing with grief as well. So it's a time of fellowship. Here we have Jesus going alone and praying. Let's just note one more in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, just a page over. Luke 6, verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. These various scriptures and others as well give us some direction in what Jesus did in his leisure time. Now, we also know that Jesus enjoyed visiting with some, and he enjoyed visiting with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, we know that from different accounts. We also know that Jesus enjoyed children. The children enjoyed him too, so evidently there was a mutual affection there. Um, and so Jesus probably spent some time with children. What other activities did he do in his leisure time? Well, we're not altogether sure. Maybe you have some ideas, but we won't go more into that. But it's obvious that his prime leisure activities centered around fellowship, uh, meditation and prayer. That's what we gather from the Gospels. Fellowship, meditation, and prayer. Well, let's note some, uh, some instructions, directions for us as we look at biblical principles that can give us some direction for our leisure time. First of all, how we spend our leisure time is an expression of worship. How we spend our leisure time is an expression of worship. And we sort of started this morning with that thrust. But at the heart of worship is the act of sacrifice. Worship is really not about getting. It's really all about giving. Now truly, when we worship God, we receive a blessing. And when you come to church... You receive a blessing, but I trust that's not your main reason for coming to church. And I trust that's not your main reason for serving the Lord, to get a blessing, to get something out of it. True worship is about giving because our great God deserves so much, more than we could possibly give. But at the heart of worship is the act of sacrifice. What can I give to God? And so once again there, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read in a sense that, brothers and sisters, I just urge you, in view of God's great mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Once again, True worship is a whole life response to the mercy of God. Acknowledging Him as, as the worthy Lord of our lives and submitting ourselves in daily obedience to His word, to His will. And for the sincere believer, this permeates every aspect of their life. Every aspect. And so you cannot possibly say that Today we are worshiping, but tomorrow it's just back to work. Or, you know, yesterday the wedding was such a worshipful experience, but 
you're not sure about when you get back to the, you know, the daily grind. For the sincere believer, this thing of worship permeates every aspect of life. Now, in my, in my preparation for this message, I was blessed to read through this book um, that I actually borrowed from my father. This book was written before I was born. But because it's founded on principles in God's word, its message is timeless. And those principles apply very well to where we are today. Now, it's true that some of the illustrations are a bit outdated. But I was very blessed. And it's also true, I'll say up front, that, that the author um, has chosen a bit of a different journey of life than I have chosen. But yet there are good principles that are founded in God's word here that have blessed me. The title of the book is In Praise of Leisure, written by Harold D. Lehman, and I will quote him several times in this message. Um, I would like to read one excerpt right now as we think about worship, our leisure time being expression of worship. He says, since Christ is Lord over all of a Christian's life, as his followers, we are called to glorify God both in our work and leisure. We dare not dichotomize life as though it is necessary to honor God with our work, but when leisure time comes, we have somehow earned the freedom to make our own choices as if God doesn't matter. This would be missing the real meaning of God's rule in our lives. The totality of our commitment to Christ knows no off-bound areas of time or of activity. Under the lordship of Christ, any attempt to fragment work or leisure as being outside the will of God fades away. Now, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. just want to note two passages here on this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verses 19 and 20. And I simply want you to ponder this question. Who owns you? Who owns you? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Having a clear understanding of who owns you is important. In fact, who owns you changes everything. And when God owns you, When you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and you are so happy and thankful to be his child, to be his servant, that will change the way you think about your leisure time. It will. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and note verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. All of life must be consistently challenged with this criterion. Does this bring glory to God? And it's good to ponder that as you go through life, as you go through each day, as you have a decision to make. Does this bring glory to God? Is God glorified in this decision? God is glorified when we choose to order our lives in accordance to his word. In accordance to those enduring principles that we find in his word. When we choose to do that, he is glorified. Secondly, let's note this morning that our leisure time should flow out of and be consistent with our calling. 
our leisure time should flow out of and be consistent with our calling. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. In verses 13 through 16, Peter writes, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober or be self-controlled and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Once again, remember who owns you. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Someone has, has put it this way, verse 14. Not choosing your lifestyle based on society's values. Not choosing your lifestyle based on society's values. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans 12, verse 2. As believers, we must not let the selfish perspective of the world dictate our way of life. Okay? We must not let the selfish perspective of the world dictate our way of life. But we need to be transformed. We need a change of mind. We need to have a mind that thinks like Christ in order to truly know his will in the details of life. And so the Apostle Peter here says, As he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of life, in all manner of conversation, in all that you do, live a life of holiness. Let holiness direct your life. It's, a, it's, it's the idea of being called out, being separate, being chosen, being God's. Once again, God owns you. Turn the page to chapter 2, verse 9, and we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, <laughs> that doesn't mean you look stupid or you look foolish. You know, when I was younger, sometimes we'd say, boy, you're really peculiar looking. <laughs> no, that's not what it's talking about. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, we can be a bit ashamed of who we are as a conservative people because we're so different. Shame on us for that. And so sometimes maybe we feel peculiar and we sort of begrudge that. That ought not be the case. <laughs> Look what it says here. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. That means that we're special. We're bought by God. He owns us. He paid for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have so much to be thankful for. Don't, don't hang your head over that. Be thankful for it and live, live worthy of that calling. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there should be a distinct difference in the people of God. The world is referred to as living in darkness. The people of God referred to as living in the light, walking in the light. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Should not the way we spend our leisure activities express that? Should they not? I believe it should. Once again, a quote here from Harold D. Lehman in his book, In Praise of Leisure. A Christian considers his leisure not as an end in itself, nor as the opposite of work, but as a function in his life which contributes to his calling. He views rest relaxation, fun, and various kinds of leisure time activity in light of how they enhance or detract from his vocation. In other words, from his calling as a believer. He views it critically. D does, this, does this 
help me along the way? Or does this hinder my spiritual life? And so a couple questions that we should ask ourselves. Does my choice of leisure activities strengthen my testimony? Is that fair enough? Does my choice of leisure activities strengthen my testimony? Is it consistent with my profession and my way of life? Or does it jeopardize my testimony and the reputation of my church? I think it's something good for us to ponder. Thirdly then, how we spend our leisure time defines who we are. <laughs> does that surprise you? How we spend our leisure time defines who we are. It has been said that you are what you eat. <laughs> well, I think another similar statement would be you are what you play. Think about that. You are what you play. That may take a little time for that to soak in, but you can chew over that uh, this afternoon. You are what you play. What I'm saying is that there is a connection between how we spend our leisure time and the quality of our character. There's a connection between how we spend our leisure time and the quality of our character. One more quote here by Harold D. Lehman on this matter. And this is what he says. Leisure time is the arena of choice. Here we must make decisions every day about how to use free time. We cannot evade leisure time choices. Even a non-choice amounts to a choice by default. If it is true that character is formed at the forks of the road, this implies great moral consequence in the leisure choices we make. Let me just read that last sentence again. If it is true that character is formed at the forks of the road, this implies great moral consequence in the leisure choices we make. In fact, how we spend our leisure time, how we spend our spare time, as we call it sometimes, is not only revealing, but it is also directional in our lives. It's directional. You see, while leisure time in and of itself may be a morally neutral concept in and of itself, yet how we use it is not. And I want you to get that. While the concept itself may be morally neutral, how we use it is not. It is influential in our life and the lives of others. I found this very fascinating, this quote by M.H. Neumeyer in his book, Leisure and Recreation. He writes, society may find its greatest asset in the constructively used leisure of its citizens. But leisure may become also the greatest menace to our civilization. The civilizations of the world have been made and unmade by the way in which people have used their spare time. Now listen to this. It matters not so much what people do when they work as what they do when they do not work. That's, that's astounding. It matters not so much what people do when they work, but what they do when they do not work. Once again, what a person does for fun is revealing. You could say it tells on them. <laughs> it's a sneak peek into their heart. It's a peek into their priorities. It's a peek into their character. Now, this stands out to me specifically because just this past week, I was filling out uh, the ministerial reference form for one of our young people who is applying to attend Sharon Mennonite Bible Institute uh, this coming winter. And I've done that different times for different Bible schools, but this question took me off guard, and perhaps it's because <laughs> I was in the frame of mind to pick it up. But, you know, in, in one of those applications, you know, we're we're, the preachers are sent applications about, you know, to, we're supposed to assess our young people. Is this young person worthy to come to our Bible school? 
Will they be a blessing or will they be a hindrance? And so they ask questions like, you know, is this applicant uh, a Christian? Have they been baptized? Are they a member of your church? Uh, what is their moral purity like? How would you assess that? Uh, how do they relate to their parents? How do they relate to their siblings? Uh, are they, do they have a good testimony in the community? And so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, those are understandable. But this question took me off guard. What is your assessment of the applicant's recreational pursuits? And at, at, at first glance, I was like, I mean, just for a split second, my thought was, what does that matter? And then it hit me. <laughs> what is your assessment of the applicant's recreational pursuits? You see, they're keying in on something there. They know that what the young people like to do for fun defines who they are more than what they do for work. We must think about that. And we could spend a lot more time on that, but something to ponder. Number four, our leisure time should refresh and rejuvenate us. Our leisure time should refresh and rejuvenate us. You know, time away from the daily grind of work and rigorous activities, responsibilities, it should be a means of refreshing us in body, in spirit, in mind. It should be a means of refreshing us in different ways. And I say it should serve to give us a renewed vigor for the work that God has called us to, whether it's the work in more of a secular nature, say our jobs and other things, or spiritual work that God has called us to. It should, it should rejuvenate us. It should give us a new vigor. It should replenish our gas tanks, as it were, for the work that God has called us to do. Now, I mentioned before, of course, not all wholesome leisure activities are physically relaxing. <laughs> Some are, it could be exhausting, at least to our, our physical bodies. And yet the change of pace can be refreshing. It's doing something different. It's our minds are not so focused on the norm, but it's something different. And even though it can be exhausting physically, it can be refreshing mentally. You understand what I'm saying. You've probably had those times yourself. But I just want to note here a pattern that I found in Scripture, and, and I just keyed, it, keyed in on it twice, both in Exodus but, but there's this pattern that stands out to me, and it is work, rest, refreshed. Work, rest, refreshed. Uh, Exodus 31, 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You see that? The example of God when he created the world, in six days he worked, seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. Okay? And then once again, in Exodus chapter 23, and this is referring more to um, how taking time off or leisure time refreshes those that are working for you. <laughs> uh, Exodus 23, verse 12, Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thy ox and thy donkey may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Okay, those are the ones who are working for you. So, so when, when you give uh, leisure time and take leisure time for yourself, it allows refreshment for others as well. But, but in both of those scriptures, I noticed that it stood out to me, that pattern of work and rest and refreshment. Someone has put it this way. Our leisure times should serve to refurbish and refit tired muscles, frayed nerves, and weary brain cells for new and continued service. You see, it should, it should refurbish us, refit us, rejuvenate us for new and continued service. And so once again, there's a perspective of, of serving serving instead of consuming. Now, I find it very fascinating to see a glimpse of this in the life of Jesus. And it is Dr. Luke that records it. He mentions it, actually, we find this little, this little dynamic 
in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6 of Luke's account. But Luke, as a doctor, understood the direct connection between wholesome, refreshing leisure and mental wholeness and spiritual strength. There's a connection there. I just find it fascinating. It never hit me before, but as I was studying this, it dawned on me. The doctor is the one who wrote about it, or at least brought it out. And just quickly look at this. Luke 4, we won't spend a lot of time here, but in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, so Jesus is in the wilderness going through an extended time of fasting, temptation, praying, He's away. He's by himself. Now, perhaps not the most relaxing in some ways, but yet it was time away, you could say, from the normal, from the regular responsibilities and duties of life. But let me just say that that extended time alone of fasting prepared and empowered him to begin his earthly ministry. And it comes right out of that. So we have that, verse 14 says, and he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Now, notice uh, chapter 5. In verse 17, we noticed verse 16 just a few moments ago where he's busy healing people and then he withdrew himself in the wilderness and prayed. And then in verse 17, we have, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. <laughs> you know, a time alone praying empowered Jesus to be used mightily of the Lord. Now note, notice verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 13. And I noticed this uh, a little while ago as well. But... In verse 12, we see where Jesus went to the mountain and spent the night in prayer to God. And then the very next thing we have recorded is that he chose his 12 disciples. And I think that is significant. An all-night prayer vigil alone in the mountains prepared Jesus to choose his disciples. And you know, dear people, we are in the processing of choosing church leaders. Let us not take it lightly. It deserves some good prayer and fasting as well. I challenge you in that. Number five, our leisure time should be spent purposefully. Our leisure time should be spent purposefully. Now, sometimes we use, perhaps rather carelessly, we use phrases like, so what are you doing to kill time today? Or we might say, well, I'm just shooting the breeze. <laughs> But I would like to challenge us a bit in that. And, and I've said the same thing, okay? I, I said early on that I've been convicted many times. I would like to challenge us with that. You see, the Christian views time as a precious and a fleeting commodity. It is a gift from God that, that will soon be gone. And this fact causes us to consider the importance of making each moment count for Christ. It reminds us that we must put first and foremost, we must pursue with a passion uh, those things that have eternal value, like our families, like our church family, like that needy neighbor, like you name it. Because time is fleeting. It's precious. We ought to use it for the glory of God. Turn to Romans 13. Just note one passage here. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Paul writes, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is, is nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. In other words, don't waste your life away in 
foolishness, in partying, in lightheartedness. It's high time to wake up. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Our time should be spent purposefully. In a poem by Michael Coist, he contrasts the basic attitudes about time. And I want you to listen to just two verses from that poem. He writes, Goodbye, sir. I haven't time. I'll come back. I can't wait. I haven't time. I must end this letter. I haven't time. I'd love to help you, but I haven't time. I can't accept having no time. I can't think. I can't read. I'm swamped. I haven't time. I'd like to pray, but I haven't time. And here's the contrasting attitude. Lord, I have time. I have plenty of time. All the time that you gave me, the years of my life, the days of my years, the hours of my days, they're all mine, mine to fill completely up to the brim, to offer them to you, that of their insipid water you may make a rich wine such as you made once in Cana of Galilee. I'm not asking you tonight, Lord, for time to do this or then that, but for your grace to do conscientiously in the time that you give me what you want me to do. <laughs> wow, it's a challenge. How am I using the time that God has given me? And then I just want to challenge us with this, that our leisure time is an opportunity to serve others. Our leisure time is an opportunity to serve others. How do you view your leisure time? Is it a time for self or is it a time to serve? Is it a time that you deserve or is it an opportunity that you have? How do you view your leisure time? And I must confess once again, too often I have had an inverted perspective of this. You know, we work so hard. Life can be so difficult. And we kind of feel like we, you know, we're due a break, right? We deserve a good one. We need a reward. And don't get me wrong. We need to care for our bodies. We need to care for our minds. We are to be good stewards. Don't get me wrong. I agree with that. But it's the it's that subtle attitude of, this is what I deserve in life. I deserve this. Instead of, Lord, how can I serve you best with what you've given me? You see, it's a different perspective. And the Bible makes it clear that a self-centered pursuit of pleasure leads to death. It leads to despair. There's no joy. There's no refreshment. There's no true refreshment in pursuing what you want. I've always wanted this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Even leisure time, even time on the beach, even time in the mountains, even time at the cabin, when that, is your, when that is your main goal in life, when that is what you are driving for, when that is all you're working for, there is not true peace. There is not true refreshment in that. But it ends in despair because it's never good enough. You're... And yet Jesus, Jesus offers a rest and a refreshment that is unlike any other. And he offers that to us today. And that is when we surrender ourselves to him. And Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, the rest that we find in Jesus Christ so greatly supersedes any earthly rest that we can dash after, that we can give our life for. And the fact is, when our main pursuit 
is seeking after the rest that only Christ can give, it will then, it will then change our perspective of life and fill the rest of our life with a peace and with a joy and with refreshment, even in the midst of the hustle and bustle. It's about having first things first, though. Well, it's time to it's time to close. I just want to challenge you with several verses from Philippians, and we'll call it good for today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Are you spending your time for the glory of God? What are you doing with your leisure time? In Paul's prayer for the Philippian Christians, he stressed the need to take the higher road in all areas of life. Take the higher road. Okay isn't good enough. Simply good isn't good enough. But he stressed the need to pursue excellence in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or in all discernment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. that ye may approve things that are excellent. You know, dear people, our ability to discern what is best in life is directly connected to our love for God and our desire to be like Him. May God give us wisdom to make choices in all of life that truly please Him, but especially this morning as we consider our leisure time May our time be spent to the glory of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, you have blessed us so much with the opportunity to dig into your word again this morning, to be challenged thereby. Lord, thank you for that. What a privilege it is. And Father, I pray that we would just simply be open to the promptings of your spirit. Father, you know the needs here. You know the needs in my life. You know the needs within the individuals here this morning. You know how this affects them. You know what they're thinking about. You know what uh, they enjoy doing. And Father, may your spirit just gently nudge them and may there be a desire to grow in our lives, to truly approve things that are excellent, to not settle for what is just good or status quo or what the others are doing, but pursue the likeness of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to wake up realizing that it is high time that we are living in the last days and that calls us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Help us to be vigilant in that. And may your blessing rest upon us as we part. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.